0: Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You heard Caleb share uh, on video news earlier, we're basically dubbed this month, Flexible February. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall be stretched. And... um, You know, years ago, God gave us a word as a church and said, I've called Bayside to be both a mountain and a a fountain. A mountain and a fountain. There's something about a mountain that is solid, secure, firm, unmoving, constant, consistent, reliable, and always the same. But when it comes to a fountain... It's flexible, it's moving, it's there's backs and ebbs and flows, it's life-giving. This is really where the life is found. This is where the protection, security, and confidence is found. But the life-giving power comes from the ever-flowing water of God's Spirit. And God has said to us that we are essentially to be a church like that. We are to be both firm and flexible. We are to be both secure. And spontaneous, uh, because uh, that is something of the nature of God. And so, uh, as we kicked into the new year of 2022, there's been some things that we are committed to and we will remain committed to. We've got Nick Resky, as we heard, coming in a couple of weeks. Uh, you can handle the truth. If you didn't do it last year, that course is coming up. Uh, we're also very set in September this year. Put this date down. September 18 is a Sunday. We'll be celebrating our 20th birthday as a church on September 18, this year, officially our birthday party. Okay, we'll be there. However, uh, as all the ladies know, there's no such thing as a birthday. It's a birth month, isn't it? Or a birth year. Yes, yes. So, one thing we were supposed to do today on the first Sunday in February was launch something of our theme for the year. Uh, the intention, hence be, being over the flexible fountain side, uh, the intention of this Sunday was originally to talk about 20 and 22. We as a church are celebrating this year's, our 20th year in 22. When you came in this morning, you may have noticed on the entryway a, a phrase that we've put up there with 20and22.com uh, written down there that simply says, God is with us in every changing season. God with us in every changing season. That came out of a, uh, of a preach a few months ago from the book of Acts, but very much this firm and flexible thing. We need to be flexible in life because there are changing seasons da-da-da, da 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 okay, winds of change, see, 5% of the people in the room got that, winds of change, and there, but there's also, God is with us, there are constants, there is, and one of the constants in life is change, but the good constant is, God is with us in every changing season, and so, uh, while we did have a few other things planned for February, we are delaying them a little bit, but got some very exciting things coming up, so, I thought, I've got two weeks before we start our proper term 1 series. And I decided in these two weeks leading up to Nick and Meredith Rescue's visit in three weeks' time that I'd do a bit of a mini-series on one of my favourite subjects. I want to get stuck into, the next two weeks, a two-part series on the subject of God's grace. Subject of God's grace. And by way of introduction, I want to go back to our first Sunday this year and read from Acts 20.22. Moan, come on, oh, come on, no, no, Acts 20, 20. Acts 20, 22. Paul's speaking to a group of people from Ephesus and he says this, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained by the Spirit or compelled by the Spirit to do so, even though I don't quite know what's going to happen to me there. All I do know is that the Holy Spirit testifies to me everywhere that I go, that challenges await me, inflictions and imprisonment await me. But I do not account my life of any value or precious to myself if only I can do this one job, and that's to finish my course, to finish my ministry that I receive from my Lord Jesus Christ. And that calling is to testify to the gospel. Of the grace of God, Acts twenty twenty two. With great confidence, Paul walked into the new year. Uh, walked into the next stage of his journey with great confidence. I know the Holy Spirit's calling me to get on with it. That confidence comes with the acknowledgement that there are challenges, and there are uncertainties. I don't really know all the details, but I know that there's going to be challenges. Wake up, princess! Life is full of challenges. All right, the challenges are ahead of us, but we can walk confidently in what we do know which is that God is always leading us in triumphal procession in Christ. And Paul, the way he articulated his great goal in life was this. My job from the Lord Jesus himself is to testify to the gospel of God's grace. grace. My point is simply this. When Paul wanted to articulate not only his life's calling, but what the gospel actually is, he called it the gospel of God's Grace. grace. You cannot separate the good news of Jesus, from the grace of God. He says as much to the Galatians, where he sort of does a double negative to them in Galatians 1 verse 6, where he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who has called you to live in the grace of Christ. God has called you to live in God's grace, but instead you are turning to a different gospel. You see the contrast? Different gospel... Not living in God's grace. True gospel means living in God's grace. It wasn't enough that these Galatians received God's grace once. I went to an altar call. I said yes to God's grace back in 1979. Good for you, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is you are called to live in the grace of God. And anything the message that we carry is of living in God's grace. If our message is not about living ongoingly in God's grace, then we are probably over here and looking at a different gospel to what Paul preached. His gospel was one that said, "We are called to live day by day, 24/7 in the grace of God." The legitimate gospel is the message of living in God's grace every day. And somebody said, something amen so this week we're going to take a look at this word grace and when it comes to take getting a grasp on grace uh although it may take you a while to read i sat down this week and read romans in one sitting this week you can do it the book of romans i hate to say this in public but it's around about the same time as it takes to watch an episode at married at first sight So you consider what's a better investment of your time. But at least the book of Romans, 24 times at least in those 16 chapters, Paul mentions the word grace. Grace, 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 all the way through the book of Romans. And so your homework this week is, guess what? To read through Romans. If you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1. But before we look at that, we really should define our terms. What is grace? What is grace? Well, The Greek word, because that's the Bible we're reading, the part of the Bible we're reading, is charis. Okay, you might have heard that term. And around about 80% of the times we see this used in the Bible, it's the English is rendered grace. But sometimes it's not. 20% of the time it's not. Other times the word is rendered favour. So it kind of gives us a clue what grace means when we know what charis can mean. It can mean favour. And so in the Christmas story, the angel comes to Mary and says, Blessed are you, Mary, you have found favour with God. You've found grace with God. Okay, there you go. Jesus as a boy, Luke says, grew up in favour with God and man. The word there is grace. He grew up in grace. In fact, in the book of Acts, when Felix who's a politician, wants to do a favour for the Jewish people, he holds Paul in prison. He holds Paul away in prison because he wants to do a favour, a political favour. The word there is grace. It doesn't really make sense to translate it, grace, but it's charismatic. It means favour. Uh, If you look at Paul's letters, sometimes the vast majority of the time he uses this word and our English translators say that it's grace, sometimes they translate it thanks or gift. So when Paul is carrying a financial gift from one church to another, he says, I am carrying that grace. Oh, that's interesting. I'm carrying that charis. It's a gift that you've given it's grace. Other times he uses the word thanks, like when he says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. The word there is grace. Grace be to God. What's the point, Chad? The point is this, you know what the word charis means and have something of an idea of what grace means by the other alternate words that may fit it. We know just by those definitions, grace has something to do with favour, gifts of blessing, generosity, something that comes from a heart of gratitude, this is something to do with that Greek word that we often call grace. But I've pulled together with the help of a Kiwi friend, some Christian authors' attempts to define grace. Jerry Bridges says this, Grace is God's free and unmerited favour shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. It is the love of God shown to the unlovely. It is God reaching downward to people who are in rebellion against Him. Brennan Manning says grace is the active expression of God's love. Grace proclaims the awesome truth that all is a gift. All that is ours, all that is good, is ours not by right but by the sheer bounty of a gracious God. Joseph Prince from Singapore says that grace is a person. Grace and truth came together through the person and ministry of Jesus. So grace is not a doctrine, grace is not a teaching. No, 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 grace is a person. Joseph R. Cook says, grace is the face love wears. When it meets imperfection. That's my favorite. Grace is the face that love wears when it meets imperfection. Nothing like an 18th century Methodist to get straight to the point. Dudley Hall, grace is a message. And it's a message of unconditional love from the Father of the universe. It's the free offer of eternal life. And we can experience it all in the gritty now as well as in the sweet by and by. Jay said something like that this morning. My friend Paul Leather says that grace is God's divine aid that supernaturally empowers you to be who he made you to be. Grace leaves us better than it found us. Steve McVeigh, grace is a system of living, it's a way of life in other words, whereby God blesses us because we are in Jesus Christ and for no other reason at all. Max Licato, grace is the voice that calls us to change and gives us the power to pull it off. Of all God's wondrous works, grace in my estimation is his magnum opus, grace is God's best idea. Good one, God. You did really well on that one. Jim Richards says, grace is God's ability. It's God's ability working in man, making him able to do what he cannot do on his own ability. Rob Rufus says, grace is the divine characteristic that enables, furnishes and equips human beings to live in a supernatural dimension. Say the best till last. Chad says, grace... Well, you've got to do your own, okay? You've got to, you've got to do your own. You've got to go, how do I best... Yeah, do we have a, a, this is def- an Insta moment right here. The best I can currently do is this. Grace is a supernatural gift emanating from the heart of a good and generous God that is offered to undeserving people. When received, God's grace causes us to be what we cannot be and to do what we cannot do without Him. When received, God's grace causes us to be what we cannot be and to do what we cannot do, you see, like any gift, because grace is a gift, remember, that's one of the words that charis can be defined as, like any gift, grace is no good to you unless you receive it. Uh, grace can, the Bible says, come to us in vain. Come to us in vain because we didn't receive it. And Paul makes mention of this in his very first mention of the word grace in Romans. We'll read that in a moment. But it is this twofold dimension of grace. We receive it so that it helps us to be what we can't be and do what we can't do without and this twofold dimension of grace is where i want to go in these next two weeks i'm not one that believes there's two different types of grace some people say there's saving grace and serving grace okay i don't quite see it that way i see that grace is a gift and it's like a two-sided coin there it is and guess what heads you win tails you win it's a win-win and when you look at one side of that coin you get the acceptance of god grace causes you to be what you can't be you are loved, precious, holy, honoured, justified, sanctified, all these things that God causes you to be, heads you win. And when you look at the other design of that coin, you win again because grace causes you to do what you cannot do. So you are empowered to live a supernatural life with giftings and abilities to persevere and endure and be an overcomer in life because that's the package of grace. It is a gift that causes us to be what we cannot be and do what we cannot do. This is Theologians fancy way of saying that orthodoxy and orthopractice, right believing leads to right behaving, and both are true in the message of God's grace. This week I want to look at grace to be from Romans chapter 1 through to 11. Buckle in. No, we're not going to read the whole thing. Don't worry. Grace to be. We're going to start in Romans. The very first mention of Charis in the epistle is Romans 1 verse 5. Through him we received grace. Grace. Be more interaction. We, can you say, received grace. received grace? Good job. Through him, we received grace. And, in Paul's case, apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also, by the way, are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. He says, To all in Rome who are loved by God, called his holy people, grace and peace to you. From God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The first mentions of this word in this letter. Paul describes grace first and foremost as something he received. Grace and apostleship. I've received God's favour and I've received authority to distribute something on his behalf. And this grace that he shared in his pronouncement to them is something, sorry, this grace he received is also something that he can pronounce and give to others. And so at the start of this letter, he said, listen, I've received grace and I pronounce grace over you grace to you, grace to you, grace to you. The letter finishes, chapter 16, verse 20, by saying, grace to you also. Grace is a gift to be both received and shared with others. He wanted that gift to be received by others also. Grace is to be received. The gift of grace may be free, but it's no guarantee. If you want it, you've got to receive it. And as you continue through Romans, Paul makes very clear that the way we receive God's grace, given freely, is by faith, is by trusting, is by humbly saying, I hear you, I need that, yes please. Humbly saying, I'll take it, I'll take it. Lord, I receive. And this receiving, if you get your computer program and you click on the link receive, it's a Greek word, lombardo, which means to aggressively laid hold of. So to receive God's grace is very active. The word there means to aggressively lay hold of it, to take hold by actively accepting what is available or actively accepting what is offered. Helps Word Studies said that Lambana means to accept with initiative. It emphasizes the volition or the assertiveness of the receiver. You put a gift in front of me and I'm actively getting off my bum and taking hold of it. Okay, there's an assertiveness there to take hold of that gift. Jesus may have knocked Paul to the ground on the Damascus Road, but Paul still could have said no. He still could have said no. He said yes to the offer of God's grace. That receiving a grace was not passive or automatic. It was assertive and active and intentional. We intentionally say yes to God's grace. Amen? Now that said, any initiative that we take in receiving is only because God first took initiative with us. There is no accepting a gift that has not first been put on the table. The wonderful gift of God's grace is that He is the great initiator. The great initiator. It's what theologians call provenient grace. Before you ever thought a right thought about God, it's because God put that desire within you and came to you and did a work in your heart. Before you would ever give anything to him, it's because he first gave to you and did a work in your heart. God God is always previous. Provenient grace. And so this whole first 11 chapters finishes in chapter 11 verse 5 where Paul says, there is a remnant of people who've been chosen by grace. God has chosen you. You are the chosen. Chosen by grace. Grace, we don't do anything to be chosen by God because that is works and if it's by works, it's no longer grace. God says, I've chosen you and the good news for you today is that God has chosen you to be a recipient of his grace. God has chosen you to be a recipient of his grace. I want to encourage you when it comes to the grace of God, please be a yes man. Be a yes man. Or yes woman, doesn't quite have the same ring to it, but be a, be a yes man. Just say yes. 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 <laughs> when it comes... To God's offer of grace, say yes. It is a supernatural gift that emanates from the heart of a good God. And when received, it causes us to be what we cannot be and do what we cannot do without him. Let's talk about that. Four things that grace causes us to be as we walk through these chapters in Romans and the mentions of the word charis. The next mention comes from Romans chapter 3, well-known scripture, verse 21. Now, apart from the law, now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets actually testify. This righteousness is given. Righteousness. Can you say righteousness? Righteousness. I know you're breathing through masks and you get some oxygen going. Let's go. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to those who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. It doesn't matter what your race is, for goodness sake. For all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, but all are also justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. What does God's grace cause us to be? Three things in this passage. It causes us to be redeemed, the word redemption, justified and righteous. Redeemed. Justified and righteous. This, these are things that you cannot be without him. Redeemed, justified and righteous. Amen? Paul here is clearly, and he does this all the time, it's really Pauline of him, he's inferring all the time the Exodus motif. The story of Exodus, Moses, Charlton, Heston, Red Sea, all that. To be redeemed, the story of Exodus is the story of redemption. It means to be purchased at a price so that you can come out of something. Okay? To be redeemed means to be rescued at a price. Like Mel Gibson in the Ransom movie. Paid a ransom. Paid a redemption. 5% of the people in the room got that. There's uh, something about a ransom. It means to be bought out. At a price, it draws on the Exodus story where God bought his people out of slavery or out of sin, is the analogy. He redeemed them, he rescued them. He says, I paid for you, you're mine. I am redeemed. I could not pay for myself. You have been redeemed, you are redeemed. That's something you are. How precious you are in the eyes of the Father is the price that he was willing to pay for you. Jesus paid that price with his blood. That is your redemption price. When you ever doubt your value, know that Jesus thought you were worth dying for. I don't care what other people have said. God says you're worth dying for. He has purchased you. You are redeemed and you could not afford your own value. You couldn't do it yourself. Because you have nowhere near the resources to draw on according to what you're actually worth. Only God is wealthy enough to pay for you. I've never thought of that before. Secondly, (laughs) you are justified. (laughs) Justified is a legal term. You've been bought out with a price, but justified is a legal term that basically means to be vindicated or proven right. We often say this when someone makes a decision and we're like, "Mm, I'm not sure about that. Six months months later, it turns out they were right. And we go, "Ah, you're justified. Okay, you're proven right. You are vindicated. All right, this in the legal sense, it's like the judge saying, you are proven right. You are vindicated. You were guilty. You're now acquitted. It has that kind of feel to it. And certainly here in Romans 3, the emphasis is, if you read Romans 3, is about being justified in the courtroom of heaven. It's very much a vertical relationship with God, that I am justified in His sight. In the courtroom of heaven, I am declared acquitted of guilt. Yeah. Justified. Case closed. Yeah. Out you go. Courtroom session is over. You were in the red. You are now no longer in debt. You are seen by this court just as if you were never in debt, just as if you had never done anything wrong. You are justified and that is good news it's different to the context of james there's always this debate lutherans love it martin luther didn't want james in the bible because of this reason but james 2 he says you know abraham wasn't justified by his by believing he was justified by doing something he was justified by offering isaac on the altar and the word justified is exactly the same so what do we do with this is this paul and and what's his face? Uh, James a bit of a bit of a disagreement. No, 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 the context is just different. Uh, because in Romans it's very clear, it's a vertical context, it's my relationship with God, he justifies me, as far as we're concerned in his eyes, I'm justified by believing. In James the context is horizontal. It's all about, I'll show you my works and I'll prove my faith to you. And you can show me your works and prove your faith to me. Let's look at one another and show who is vindicated by their works, who is justified by their works. So in the eyes of other people, Abraham came down the mountain, this crackpot who thought he was hearing from God, and he came back with his son intact and he was suddenly vindicated. Oh, you're right. You do have a relationship with God. You are vindicated. You are proven to us your belief by that incredible behaviour. You are justified. Not in God's sight, but in the sight of others. That's the context of James chapter 2. Too much for one day. Forget it. Okay, That's, that's okay. That's okay. Let's just stick with the good news. We are justified before God. And thirdly, God's grace calls us to be righteous. This takes redemption and justification to another level still. Not only have you been brought out of Egypt, not only have you been declared innocent of the guilt of Egypt, you are now gifted with God's righteousness. You're not merely acquitted, you are now approved. You are not merely tolerated, God tolerates you as an acquitted sinner. No, you're celebrated as a son and a saint. You're not just a sinner that had read, went up to zero. No, righteousness is a gift, God's righteousness put into your account. You're now well and truly in the black. Your account... Not gone from red to nothing, your account has gone to the righteousness of God. So when God looks at you, He just doesn't see you as a forgiven sinner, He sees you like He sees Jesus. The court of heaven sees you and sees you not just as if you've never sinned, justified, but just as if you'd obeyed, just as if you were Jesus. And so, Jesus is who we think about when we think about God. What's God like? Jesus, it's always the answer. What's God like? Jesus. Well, Jesus is who God thinks of when he thinks about you. What's Andrew like? Jesus. He's as righteous as Jesus is. Because I've ransomed him by a price. I've justified him and I have gifted him my righteousness. God's grace causes us to be these things that we could not be on our own. And there's something in there that says, I think that's like a 12-month series to really grasp the wonder of these terms? Come back next week. Chapter 4, Paul continues this journey. It's the next mention of the word grace. He's talking there about Abraham. He says this, verse 16, Therefore the promise, say the promise, and the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace. Grace. And by grace, that means it's guaranteed to all Abraham's children, not only those who are of the law, the Jews, but also to those who had the faith of Abraham. After all, he is the father of us all. The second thing we see here is that God's grace causes us to be something we could not be, to be heirs of Abraham's blessing. Heirs of Abraham's blessing. This is something we could not earn or deserve on our own. God's grace says, what I promise Abraham, I'll promise to you too. So we read Romans, no, we read Genesis 12 and we see God coming to Abraham and saying, I'm going to bless you, i bless those who bless you, I'm going to look after you everywhere you go, you'll be a blessing to the nations, I'm going to give you a land, give you the world to inherit, these are my blessings to you. Those promises are yes in Christ and you and I say amen they are mine God grace causes us to be heirs of Abraham's blessing and it doesn't matter if you do a DNA test and there is not one skerrick of Jewish blood in you in your history you've all got Viking in you that's all I ever hear about those DNA tests we're all Vikings somewhere I want to do a DNA test and see if I've got Jewish heritage in me it doesn't matter you are Abraham's children and heirs of Abraham, not because your natural descent can be traced back to an Iraqi 3,500 years ago, but because 4,000 years ago, but because you are in Christ, God's grace says you are an heir. What I promised Abraham, I've promised to you, and you've inherited that. It is a gift of God's grace. Amen. The next chapter, chapter 5, next mention of grace. Therefore, verse 1, since we have been justified through faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Grace is a place that we stand in. This is a positional statement. Ultimately, it's a covenantal statement or a spiritual statement, if you like. See it this way your security in heaven is guaranteed. And that is applicable today. Because in heaven today, we come to the throne room of grace. It is a throne room of grace. And that is a grace in which we now, one day I'll die and get to the throne room of grace. No. Now. We have access to the throne room of grace. We stand in the place of grace. It is a positional statement. We are secure, secure, secure there in the spiritual realm. It continues in, verse, in chapter 5 from verse 17. It talks about Adam. It says, If the trespass of Adam, death reigned through him, how much more would those who receive, there's that word again, God's abundant provision of grace, could talk about that all day, and of the gift of night righteousness, reign in life through Jesus Christ. What's your point, Chad? Two things in this chapter on grace. Grace makes us secure there. My position in heaven is locked in, baby. I stand in grace. I'm secure there. And I am successful here. Because here, I reign in life through grace God's grace for you that empowering presence in your life causes you to be successful in this life he has called us and empowered us to reign reign in life we are secure there and successful here amen I'm successful here I am more than an overcomer I'm not in my circumstances I am above them I have challenges, I have issues, I face difficulties, but every time I face a difficulty, that difficulty faces me. And greater is he who is in me, because I have been empowered to reign in life. I'm successful here, secure there, and successful here. God has not given me a spirit of fear And so I walk through this life knowing that there are challenges ahead, but knowing that success, I am a victim of success. Because surely goodness and mercy will follow me when I get to heaven. Surely goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life here. I haven't thought of this yet. Can you can you please you and you and Dan? I trust you and Dan. Can you guys This is not planned, people on the on the camera? Goodness. Mercy. Follow me. All the days of my life. You see? Because in this life, I am successful. Social distancing, social distancing. And goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. You see, it doesn't matter where I go, David says. "Goodness, I know goodness and mercy follow me. Oh, I should go to ladies' toilets and see if that's going to work. No, uh, goodness and mercy. He so well, Chad, what happens if you stumble? What happens if I fall? What happens if I fall? You? I fall into goodness and mercy because goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. Thank you. That was for free. Lastly, Romans chapter 6, last next mention of the word grace. Verse 14, he says, for sin will no longer be your master. This is again Exodus language. Pharaoh will no longer be your master. That kind of thing. Sin will no longer be your master. Because after all, you're not under the law, but you are under grace. What then, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Mm-hmm. Don't be stupid. It does, that's the Aussie version. Grace causes us, lastly, to be free. Grace causes us to be what we cannot be and do what we do, cannot do without Him. Grace causes us to be Truly free. Specifically, and this is Romans, if I chose another book in the Bible, we'd bring in a whole bunch of other stuff on grace, but just walking through Romans. In this theme here in Romans 6 and 7, it talks about being free from sin. He draws here again on baptism, Red Sea, that whole kind of imagery. And the salvation experience is like a second exodus. This is a theme, as I said, through the New Testament, where sin is not your master, means that Pharaoh is not your master. Pharaoh is no longer your master because you've come out of that government now. And so you are free from sin. So it means you're free from the place of sin. I've brought you out of Egypt. You've come out of sin when you came to Christ. It's a bit of a theological concept, so it's a bit weird. But imagine sin as a place, like Egypt. When you came to Christ you came out of that place called sin. When you came out of that place, you also came out from the power of sin. Because when you're not living in Pharaoh's land, you're not under Pharaoh's rule. He ain't got no power over you. So you are free from the power and the pull of sin unless you think, keep thinking Egyptian. Okay, so that's why we're free from the power of sin, but sometimes it takes us a while to actually come to terms with that and live out that freedom of the power of sin. But it's yours. It's a gift. It's grace. It's given to you. Sometimes we just have to mature in that. And ultimately, of course, it means free from sin, means we're free from the penalty of sin because it's this chapter, chapter 6, that says the penalty or the wages of sin is death. Cut off from the God of eternal life. Sin will not break your relationship with God Because Jesus' blood took care of that. And the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and first and foremost, the place of sin, has been given, freedom from those things, has been given to you by grace. Which is why grace grants us the gift of eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. See, One of the reasons that this subject is so important Is because it deals with eternity. It is something that we live out in the here and now, but receiving God's grace is something that has eternal ramifications for you. And if you're here today and you've never received the gift of God's goodness from a benevolent, emanating from a benevolent, loving heart, given, offered to undeserving people, if you've never received that grace, which will cause you to be what you can't be without Him, righteous in His eyes, justified like you've never done anything wrong, ransomed to Him, causes you to be secure and successful. If you've never, even once, uh, consciously received that grace, you can do that today. A simple acknowledgement that Jesus is who He says He is. That as we were sharing communion, this book was sharing us before, when Jesus died that death on the cross, he paid the price to have a relationship with you and you can receive that today simply by saying, I accept. I accept. ABCs of receiving from God. A, acknowledge him. Just acknowledge. Just go, God, you're real and I acknowledge this reality. B, believe Jesus is who he says he is. The one, believe he died for you. Believe he was raised from the dead for you. Those things are true. Believe that today. And see. just begin to cooperate. And one of the easiest things you can do to cooperate is say out of your own mouth, I receive. I don't understand the fullness of the gift. It might be wrapped. I don't quite understand what's in there. But I receive. I receive from you today. If you've never done that before, I would encourage you to do that today. But my main encouragement to you today as predominantly a believing community is to do that every day. The message of the gospel is living in his grace every day. Not as a one-off, but living in his grace day after day. So Paul can say in Romans 8, what shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God did not spare his own son after all, but he gave him up for us all how will he not also now with Christ graciously give us all things? Graciously, carous, in the future tense. You see, God was not just gracious once 2,000 years ago. He is gracious today and he is gracious in every tomorrow that you face. The God that demonstrated his grace at the cross 2,000 years ago, will graciously pour out grace upon grace upon you in all of your tomorrows. And so live in God's grace every single day. Don't fall into the Galatian trap of believing a different gospel. Amen. Grace is God's supernatural gift that emanates from His good and generous heart, and it's offered to undeserving people. Receive it, and you will be who you can't be, and you will do what you can never do without Him. Because the veil has been torn, the doors swung wide. I discern His glory as I run inside. How can you run inside a throne room? Because that's also your dad's house. You can run inside the throne room and bow before him. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, I pray that your wisdom, your brooding presence, would, as someone shared before our service, cover us like a cloud, that over every head today, your presence is right there hovering, as it were, over the waters of our hearts. We reach out, and Lord, this morning we say we receive. We receive your abundant provision of grace. I don't understand it all but I receive your grace today. And I do so with a grateful heart. I say thank you. Thank you for the grace that was demonstrated to me 2,000 years ago, the grace that has come to me afresh this morning, and the grace that awaits me when I wake up tomorrow. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.